We're now into variant five, I think, in the Makawa. The Israelis have a lot of them. I must say, if I was asked to choose the tank to go to war in, it would be a pretty close call between a Makawa and either a British or a American or German tank. I'm David Knowles, and this is a bonus episode of Battle Lines. Terrorist group Hamas unleashed pure, unadulterated evil in the world. But sadly, the Jewish people know perhaps better than anyone that there is no limit to the depravity of people when they want to inflict pain on others. Like every place I go, I go run away and I just find bombs and I find dead people. And like maybe one day I'll end up like them, but it's a really scary thing for me. People telling me that, you know, mostly this is about Hamas, but they're also angry with absolutely everybody. I'm begging the world to bring my baby back home. Last week, I spoke to Telegraph contributor Hamish de Bretton-Gordon. As a former soldier, I wanted to hear his views on the kind of conflict Hamas and the IDF are fighting in Gaza. What the challenges are for both sides, and the similarities and differences between this war and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I started by asking Hamish to take us inside the head of a soldier in an urban environment. Well, the urban environment is probably the most challenging environment to fight in. The one step up from that would probably be fighting in tunnels, fighting underground, which is a potential also for the IDF in Gaza. And perhaps we'll come back to that. The challenge is, if you imagine a soldier is wearing a helmet and body armour, maybe ear protection, eye protection and carrying quite a lot of weight. So your sort of 360-degree awareness is quite constricted. I remember in my time with the Peshmerga when we were fighting ISIS, particularly in built-up areas like Mosul, the Peshmerga went very much for minimal self-protection, as it were, because they wanted a greater vision and agility and ability to move. And there is a balance between force protection and that. So that is the first thing. Fighting is a really challenging and unpleasant thing anyway. But actually, when you're in a tank fighting an enemy at 1,500 metres away, it's very different from being on your feet in an urban environment, which is sort of a fourth dimensional. You can be hit from below, behind, above, backwards. And that is the challenge. And the advantage is very much in the defender. So with Hamas terrorists defending areas of Gaza City and elsewhere where the IDF will go into, they will know the ground intimately. And the ability to put booby traps and mines all over the place is relatively easy for them. And it's an absolute nightmare for the soldier attacking. The other thing, I expect the Israelis will prefer to fight at night because that, in theory, is where they'll have an advantage. But wearing night vision goggles is another incumbent on the infantry person, so making it even more difficult. So I think that is the challenge. If you can see the whites of the eye of your enemy in front of you is one thing. If you don't know where they're coming from, where they are, or what they're going to hit you with, psychologically, that is really challenging. And that is what is in front of the Israeli Defence Force at the moment. Now, you ask, what can you do to be able to fight more effectively in this environment? Well, a lot of it is training and familiarity. It might sound strange to say it, 
but one's first hour in combat is probably your worst hour and when you are most vulnerable. It is amazing how quickly you get used to the bangs and the smells and the tumbles of combat. And it's very difficult to simulate that in training. But training and familiarity experience is absolutely key in this. But then equipment. It's clear that the Israelis have some amazing force protection equipment, not only what they have on their person, their helmets, their body armor, but also what we call their ISR, their intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance assets, which will probably give them an advantage. And the technology that they have, technology goes a long way to mitigating some of the terror weapons that the enemy will have here. So it's immensely challenging. And really, it's the fundamentalist training and experience. And the Israelis are probably the most experienced people in the world to do this. But they are fighting a terrorist who has no regard for their own life or the life of anybody else. And uh, when you're fighting like that, and when you're quite happy to throw civilians in front of you, it makes a challenge even more difficult. And the final bit of this is with the world's media and the world's press and the television and everything, looking microscopically at everything that is being done, that again adds another pressure. Hamish, there's so much you said there to dig into. Can we talk a little bit about tanks? Uh, we've heard the name the, the Makava tank now in the media. It's fairly well known, I think. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Israeli Makava tank? And maybe just talk to us about the measures that the IDF would have to take to protect them as well. I mean, we can imagine these, these things will be, um, will be prime targets for Hamas. A- absolutely. The Makava is a brilliant tank. Just to sort of paint the picture, the Israelis have been fighting tank battles almost since the inception of Israel after the Second World War. And very well-known tank battles, 1967 war, the Sinai War, and various others. The Israelis really have been one of the most successful armies in the world in fighting tank battles. And in the early days, it was a British Centurion tank, um, the sort of forebears of the Challenger II and others, which was the backbone to the Israeli tank force. And it is the way that you use tanks. Uh, that the Israelis were particularly adept at and destroyed thousands of Egyptian tanks and Syrian tanks uh, when perhaps they shouldn't have done. Now, with that sort of historical background, it is no surprise that the Israelis developed their own tank, the Makaba tank, which is unique in many ways. It's similar also in many ways to the Challenger 2 and the Leopard 2s that we're seeing now in Ukraine, It has a 120 millimetre main armament, uh, which will fire very accurately out about two or three kilometres to take out other armoured vehicles or with a high explosive shell also for taking out buildings and other hard targets. And we've already seen them attacking hardened shelters that are protecting entrances to the tunnel system. The Makaba also has two heavy machine guns, which can be fired under armour, which is very significant so that they can be aimed and fired without the tank crew needing to expose themselves. The Makava is very well protected from anti-tank guided weapons. And we're also seeing it now protected electronically against drones, but we're seeing the metal cages on top, which first were seen in, in Ukraine last year, to protect against these $500 drones dropping hand grenades or explosives into Russian turrets 
So they've obviously learned a lot from there. Now, uniquely to the Macarver, it also has a compartment in the back for infantry people or special forces. At a squeeze, I think you can fit six in there. Now, this means that the tank is ideally suited, or the Macarver, for operating in the urban environment. Because although the tank is very well protected from a whole range of dangers, as I said, actually it can be very susceptible. A tank has, when it's all closed down, has a number of sites that the commander and the gunner can see out of. But it's fairly limited. There are a lot of blind spots. So in theory, it's relatively easy to creep up behind a tank and put a grenade on it to try and take it out. And most of the armour of a tank is in its front 65-degree arc if you stand on the top of it and look forward. So actually, the rear of it is relatively uh, lightly protected. But with the Macarver, because you have these infantrymen who can get out of the back and protect it, when it is operating in close country or an urban environment, you would expect the infantryman to be out and the tank using its main armament and machine guns to attack and suppress the enemy. So that is the difference. We're now into variant five, I think, in the Macawa. The Israelis have a lot of them. They're the only country in the world that has them. But uh, I, I must say, if I was asked to choose the tank to go to war in, it would be a pretty close call between a Macawa and either a British or a American or German tank. Hamish, you mentioned um, in one of your previous answers the presence of civilians, and that's something, of course, we've seen a lot of in this conflict. There's millions of people live in, in the narrow strip of land of Gaza. How do soldiers in that environment take care of civilians and, and, and try and avoid civilian casualties? When we're looking at this conflict from abroad, what should we be hoping to see? Well, you're right. That this is the most challenging thing. We've seen it in Ukraine over the last couple of years, and we're seeing it in Gaza. Unfortunately, um, when civilians are in and amongst the battle, it is incredibly challenging to keep them out of it, especially if, like in Gaza, actually Hamas are using them for protection. And this is not unique to this conflict. We've seen it many, many times. I personally saw it in Iraq and Afghanistan, where civilians are used as protection for the terrorists. Sorry, very quickly. When you say when you say that, do you mean in terms of that they'll you know put their bases amongst in civilian areas so that the, the the potential for collateral damage is very high? Is it that sort of thing? What what, what do we mean exactly? Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult to corroborate these things, but the Israeli Defence Force are very clear that a lot of the Hamas command and control centres are under hospitals and are in the midst of particularly Gaza City. So once they're there, and if they're underground, and all this underground tunnel network, in order to get to them, generally you have to get through civilians. Now, how do you mitigate this? In a counterinsurgency type operation like this, for a soldier who is trying to differentiate between terrorists and civilians, literally the only way you can generally do it is a terrorist is carrying a gun. That might sound rather more straightforward than actually it is, because I spent many, many hours in Afghanistan actually viewing potential terrorists through cameras carried on aeroplanes and drones with great resolution. And sometimes it's very difficult to actually work out whether somebody is carrying a broom or carrying a weapon. I don't want to oversimplify it. So, so they're in the challenge. And in this conflict, it is very clear that Hamas are quite happy to put civilians in the way. In fact, 
part of the information operations campaign of Hamas it is it would appear and sometimes to actually create civilian casualties to create a narrative that they can exploit. So it, it is very, very difficult. And how do you get over it? You are as careful as you, you can be. You progress slowly. And uh, that is why this operation is not going to be over in days and potentially weeks. It is going to take a, a long time. I think it is why the Israelis are trying to move civilians south because the view is that the main sort of Hamas centres are in the north so that they can take those out and try and minimise casualties. But it's impossible. I mean, one, one of the things that I am trying to advocate at the moment is actually one way we could help mitigate this is a massive humanitarian operation in the south and on, on the coast, on the beaches, so that in a way, if there is lots of food, medical support on the coast and in the south, it will draw civilians there. The converse to that, of course, is if civilians are prevented going there, they're in the greater challenge. So it, it began in, in Syria uh, with Assad and, and Putin attacking people in Idlib. It then proliferated, for the want of a better word, into the Russian operations in Ukraine, which actually put civilians at the heart of the issue. A couple of papers I wrote when I was at Cambridge about what we call unconventional violence of the modern battlefield, where if you're unscrupulous and have no morals, if you involve civilians in the conflict and create enough casualties, that might well uh, lead the opposing side to capitulate. That's what the Russians appear to be trying to do in Ukraine. It hasn't worked. That's what Assad did in Syria. In a way, you could argue that in Syria it worked because Assad's still in power 12 years after the initial Arab Spring uprising. And it would appear that Hamas are trying to use civilians to turn the world's view against Israel and make the Israeli plan to neutralise Hamas as difficult as possible. And that's exactly what they're doing. Previously, you, you've written for The Telegraph, uh, quote, two of the most terrifying prospects for a soldier are fighting in a chemically contaminated environment and fighting underground. The IDF now faces both. Just talk to us about both of these. And I think potentially if let's talk a lot more about the, the, the tunnels, because it's something that I think we've, we've all grown to know this about Gaza, that underneath Gaza, there's, there's a huge underground tunnel complex built by Hamas. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure anybody could imagine what it is like being underground in the dark, the claustrophobia, unable to work out what is around the next corner. And these jet areas are, are really going to be synonymous with very difficult to move and very difficult to see. And it means that the defender absolutely has the advantage and, and will make very slow going. We know there are hundreds of kilometres of, of these tunnels. So it, it's going to be a, a monumental task. One assumes a lot of the hostages there, but we're not absolutely certain. And, and if anybody has read some of the books and the experiences of the Americans and the French fighting underground in the Vietnam War against the Viet Cong. I read a book and it made me physically sick just reading it. What those soldiers had to go through, and it, it destroyed a lot of people mentally. Now, I know that the Israelis have battalions of special forces who are trained in this particular environment, but Hamas knows know these tunnels intimately. It will be very easy to put rudimentary and sophisticated booba traps all over the place. And again, a lot of the information intelligence coming out of Gaza 
be it from Hamas or be from the IDF, one has to be pretty circumspect about it because both sides are playing the information game, which they're trying to get to their own advantage. But a very senior retired Israeli general said that the IDF would not get involved in a tunnel warfare. And it would appear that what the IDF are doing is identifying the tunnel entrances and then blocking them up and sealing the Hamas fighters down there. Now, the natural question is, well, if the hostages are underground, how is that going to evolve? There are two very distinct battles going on at the moment, above ground and underground. And we know very little of the underground. I expect there are numerous Israeli special forces operations going on looking for those hostages. It is not a foregone conclusion that Hamas are just going to allow the hostages to perish underground, I think, because once they have lost that card, there is nothing really to stop the Israelis using everything in their armory, as it were, to, to end Hamas. So I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. But certainly to me, that is horrific. And I'll just add the final bit, as you mentioned there, the chemical warfare bit. I have personal experience, again, with the Peshmerga in northern Iraq fighting ISIS, where ISIS threw chemical weapons at us. And it was truly horrific, except actually for us, we were above ground. Underground, it would be almost unimaginable. But I'm sure all those Israeli troops who were going underground will have respirators and breathing apparatus, which I doubt that Hamas have. So it might be a double-edged weapon, but I'm sure the Israelis will try and avoid fighting underground, if at all possible. Hey, Mr. Bratton-Gordon, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Battle Lines is an original podcast from The Telegraph. To stay on top of all of our news, analysis and dispatches from the ground in Israel and Gaza, subscribe to The Telegraph or sign up to Dispatches, which brings stories from our award-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. We also have a live blog on our website, where you can follow updates as they come in throughout the day, including insights from contributors to this podcast. If you appreciated the podcast, please consider following Battle Lines on your preferred podcast app. And, if you have a moment, leave a review, as it helps others find the show. As disinformation is a particular problem during conflict, we are relying on your support more than ever. Battle Lines is part of wider Telegraph foreign coverage in our podcasts. If you're interested in finding out more about the war in Ukraine, you can listen to Battle Lines' sister podcast, Ukraine the Latest. This episode of Battle Lines was produced by me, David Knowles, and executive producer, Louisa Wells. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. 
Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.